0: Welcome to the Fig Tree Watchers podcast, we I own Stefan. Our mission is to equip, encourage, and exhort individuals through apologetics, follow prophecy, and discipleship while emphasizing the gospel message. We pray that you're blessed by today's episode.
1: Welcome to Fig Tree Watchers. It's Friday Night Prophecy as we are discussing preterism part two part of our series end times chronology and i'll be joined by my co-host and partner Io from emitsu study hello Io. how are you i'm doing
0: well brother i'm glad to be on to discuss part two of preterism before we get into the millennial views and more into the full chronology of the end times
1: absolutely absolutely okay so i am so excited about this series i think it's gonna be absolutely fantastic but why don't we begin with prayer of course
0: yeah, sure. I'll start us off in prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word, to talk about these varying views, and ultimately come to scripture and talk about why we believe uh, the premillennial pre-trip view uh, is an accurate reading of your word. Ultimately, what we're concerned about, Lord, is just being true to your word, making sure we're interpreting it correctly, just so that we can glorify you through that. We pray that you use this to uh, guide our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and that you also use it. Uh, to just point unbelievers who are listening to this or watching after the fact uh, to the grace that they can have through your son, to the everlasting life they can have
1: through your son. So we just pray that you use all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So uh, tonight it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, Why don't you Mm. tell us what we did last week with a quick preview? Yeah, so last week, guys,
0: if you didn't catch the episode that we did last week, it was Preterism Part 1. Um, so what we discussed was just getting into defining what preterism is, partial and full preterism. Then we talked about the basis of the view. So we kind of looked at some scriptures they use to argue for their view. And then we looked at some reasons as to why we believe the view is problematic, why we don't believe it.
1: Now, why is it that we really don't agree with the preterist view, I mean, what are some of the reasons? Yeah, yeah. So we touched on a few. Uh, but replacement theology
0: is the biggest one. And it's something that me and Brother Stefan talk about often. Um, we just don't believe that, you know, the church has replaced Israel in any way. And that's what replacement theology is. Those who believe in replacement theology essentially believe the church has replaced Israel. They believe that God is done with this covenant people, that all the promises that were for Israel, the physical, literal people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, he's done with them. His promises no longer apply to them, but they apply allegorically to the church. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, so, an article from God questions, what is replacement theology slash supersessionism? Uh, they state their prophecies in scripture concerning the blessing and restoration of Israel to the promised land are spiritualized or allegorized into promises of God's blessings for the church. Uh, they also say, Preterists believe that God's covenant with Israel has ended, which is what I noted earlier. So, they state, Scripture makes it clear that, quote, God's covenant with Israel is everlasting. I and mean, they quote a scripture, Jeremiah 31, 33-36, and there will be a future restoration of Israel. Um, so we're just going to keep it there in terms of our de- definition of um, replacement theology. I mean, that can be a subject that we can de- you know devote a whole episode to. Uh, but our focus for tonight is preterism. And that's just one of the reasons we don't agree with the preterist viewpoint. Because a lot of people who adhere to the preterist viewpoint, um, unfortunately replacement theology is right next to it unfortunately that can lead to anti-semitism as well and we just believe a consistent literal reading of scripture uh will lead to be- the believer to understand that god has placed israel in-, in a special place he has a covenant with them he's made promises with them many that still wait literal fulfillment uh, so he's not done with them
1: yeah i mean it does the i i, I my question is does the preterist close his eye to the events denying what scripture is saying uh by doing this are they leading the church astray i mean is this a a major heresy when you tell people hey it's already been done there is no antichrist coming i'm sorry there is no tribulation coming i mean the first principle uh uh, the truth stated in the book of revelation is that it's a book of prophecy um uh, not a book of history
0: yeah so that's that's very important You know, these things that they're claiming that have been fulfilled, uh, we know that there's, when you interpret scripture again, literally, we know that it has still future fulfillment. Uh, We talked about last week that we went over some judgments from the book of Revelation. We went over some parts of scripture, new heavens, new earth, things like that, Uh, Armageddon, that it just wouldn't make sense to see, you know, when we look back in history that they have happened. Um, So another reason that I know you're going to get into in depth, brother, they did great research on uh, the reason why you don't adhere to this view, you don't believe it. Is because of how preterists, uh, you know, they dispute the date of Revelation. Uh, they believe it's an earlier day, while we would argue for a later date. And in terms of the verse you were referencing earlier, in terms of Revelation, uh, that was Revelation 1 1 and 3. I'll read that quick for us. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must surely take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. lest is he who reads and those who hear the words of his prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near.
1: You know, you couldn't really study this passage in depthly, but I think with it, you also have to study in depth Revelation 22, 6 through 10, um, verse 16, verses 18 through 20. I mean, these are all in depth verses. Notice the warning given to those who take away or add to the book of Revelation, this book of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? I, I, I mean, share that verse with us that you thought was key.
0: Yeah, so that's Revelation 22, verses 18 to 19. Uh, That's Jesus. He's saying, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds these things, God will add some of the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away as part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming quickly.
1: Yeah, by denying this is a book of prophecy and viewing it as a historical book, um, are you bringing judgment on yourself? I mean, this is the question I would... I always ask a preterist: mm-hmm. Are you bringing judgment on yourself? John is commanded to write these things down by Jesus because they are prophetic; they are coming. I mm-hmm. think the biggest issue, and and this is my my hot topic, and I'm just going to say it real quickly to interject, is the church today is comatose, comatose by all millennialism, preterism, and and it's it's lies because they're all comatose into believing. Bring the millennial reign! It's all good! Kumbaya! Right? And it's not the case. Uh, it's a state of comatose, not a living, breathing, alive, on fire for Jesus church that's telling people, guess what? The Antichrist is coming. The mark of the beast is coming. You better be ready to follow Jesus and be ready to give up your life if need be, right?
0: Yeah, and that's that's really important. It's just, a, it's just an area of frustration for the both of us, right? Because, again, when we look at the prophecies of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, concerning the millennial reign of Christ, uh, we know there's many things that haven't been fulfilled. Last week, I think I touched on an example of Zechariah 14, where Jesus Christ comes back. Uh, it talks about, you know, him coming back to second the Mount of Olives and the second coming. His feet touches the ground, and then he wars against the nations that were against Israel. And then, you know, the last part of 14 flips to the millennium. It says, you know, if the families of Egypt don't come and worship the Lord, you know, uh, year-round for the Festival of Booths. Um, they will not get any rain. Like they'll get judgment. And we don't see that happening now. We don't see a longer lifespan. We don't see uh, humankind and the animal kingdom at peace with each other. We don't see a end to the war. Uh, but yet, amillennialism is prominent in the church right now, even post millennium, unfortunately. Um, so those are problematic views. Um, it just takes the focus of the church off of what's really important and kind of um, cements our focus to the here and now rather than what's to come. Uh, so that's that's something dangerous. That's what we need to be careful of.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's it's summed up with what um, Jesus had a scripture in uh, Revelation one eleven. Why don't you share it with us, I
0: Yeah. So that is, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and last. And what you see, right in a book and send it to seven churches are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodice- Laodicea.
1: Yeah, these are the seven churches of Revelation. By the way speaking of the seven churches of revelation is a great time to just input we just did a post why did the church of ephesus lose its lampstand to paganism and violence you just brought up paganism a few minutes ago with what's going on in the church um these false teachings that are awry are are really entrenched in paganism bethel has tarot card readings they call them angel card readings this is paganism we're seeing this run amok um And I think the key here that's so important is the purpose is of this book is to reveal the nature of Jesus and to inform the churches why they must be ready at any time for his return. Look, Jesus defines the phrase shortly take place is used in this verse one as while uh, to write these things which you have seen. Okay, so the things that shortly take place are coming. Okay, Mm. and you need to write the things which you have seen the things which are and the things which will take place after this so are means something's coming after that takes place so we have to really pay attention to this john uh, wrote this in revelation 119 the timeline exists in this passage past present and future the alpha meaning uh, beginning and the omega means the end so the first revelation of christ that he saw in the last revelation of Christ, that we will see. That's what he's describing here. He's describing the first revelation, the Christ that he saw, and the last revelation, the Christ we will see in victory. I think that this is important to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's the, the the big predicament: the date preterists use is controversial and it's disputed heavily. Yep. Okay, um, even by even by all millennial scholars will sometimes dispute this, and of course you have pre. Millennial uh, uh, scholars who also dispute the late date. But um, let's take a look at this for a moment. For the purpose of time, we will only give you one example, and that's utilizing the Church of Ephesus as an internal argument to dispute preterism. Uh, we will do a full study on all this evidence later on, um, describing when we go through our series in Revelation. We'll go into the date. We'll probably spend a whole episode on why the date is right around 95 AD mm-hmm. okay now the universal argument made by preterists is that the roman jewish war of AD 67 that ended with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple fulfilled the vast majority of the prophetic predictions of revelation so i how do they preterists um interpret the phrase things which must shortly take place why are they interpreting it wrongly
0: yeah that's a great question um so in the book days of vengeance a review article and that's by kenneth Gentry, which i believe we also uh, talked about in the previous episode he's just a preterist um so in his work he wrote this things which must shortly take place emphatically proves that revelation must be written before the date of 66 a.d so that's the, the date that they're saying revelation is written uh, rather than uh what a lot of pr- uh, premillennialists would say it's actually written in 95 uh, a.d around there um, so he continues to say in order for preterism to be true revelation must be written before 66 a.d and again that's from his book the days of vengeance review article page 11. And weirdly enough he even admits that if the date is wrong quote preterism would go up in smoke and that's again from his book the days of vengeance so it's really weird uh that you know gentry and i guess other preterists would really you know put their all bank on this date uh, but at the same time they admit though if the date's wrong there goes preterism, right? It it goes up in smoke. It's it's over. Poof. <laughs> Poof. So it's it, it and that's really what he says. It goes up in smoke, which is very weird. Um, so in his other work, the Beast of Revelation, he states this, and this is kind of a lengthier quote, but it's a good one. Um, he says, if the late date of around AD 95 to 96 is accepted, and again, that's what uh, many premillennials would say that the book of Revelation was written around that date, a wholly different situation prevailed. The events in the mid-to-late 60s of the first century would be absolutely excluded as possible fulfillment. The prophecies within Revelation would be open to an abundance of speculative scenarios which could be extrapolated into the indefinite future. Revelation might focus exclusively on the end of history, which would begin approaching thousands of years after John's time, either before, after, or during the tribulation of the millennium. The purpose of Revelation would then be to show early Christians that things will get worse. That history will be a time of constant and increased suffering for the church. Now, again, what he says here is just totally contradicting his old claim, right? Because he's basically Absolutely. saying if the AD 66 date doesn't work, essentially, you could interpret Revelation as a premillennial. So it's literal. Absolutely. It's still coming to the future. That uh, history you know, chronologically will continue to get worse, at least until it gets better when Jesus Christ comes. Um, and that's kind of the argument that we make all the time, especially to post-millennials, because they're the ones that claim that the world will get more and more Christianized, will get better and better until Jesus Christ comes and we hand him the kingdom. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but these last three years, the world does not seem to be getting better and better, in My, in my opinion, honestly. Maybe I'm missing something, I don't know, but uh, that's what I'm seeing. So I, I don't know, how do you take this, brother?
1: I, I, You know what? My question to Gentry would honestly be, um, are things really getting worse or are they getting better? Are we becoming more like Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know about you, but 20 years ago, nobody talked about transgenderism. Today, you can't even watch a TV commercial without it, right? They're wanting to rape children now, which 20 years ago, people would have mobbed, rioted on the thought of raping a child as being okay. Today, you're seeing pictures of naked men in downtown New York with seven-year-old children taking pictures with them in the street um, because they're a transgender and no one's doing anything about it. And they're like, oh, that's so cute and loving. Uh, no, it's not, it's pedophile, it's a crime. And Jesus said, look, if you are one of these little ones, I'm gonna put a millstone, it's better to put a millstone around your neck yeah. than to face my judgment that's coming against you. So I'm sorry, we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're getting worse technology is erupting to the point where we're starting to see the mark of the beast come into fruition and i'm not saying it's here i'm saying we're seeing we can go this now makes final sense Mm, yeah this finally makes sense in scripture we're now getting and grasping the technology because it's here we're catching up and so the answer is clearly yes the world is becoming more evil more hideous more diabolical Mm -hmm. and the spirit of the antichrist is ruling throughout individuals and Satan, the father of all lies is dominating with an absolute demonic deception on the whole world. So much so that once again, I'm going to go back to that line, the church is comatose. It's just sitting in a coma, not knowing what's going on. I'm thinking of that Steve Camp song, not even perceiving what's going on around them. They're so happy and flabby sitting in their pew, right? Um, Just amazing to me. But we have some internal evidence for the 95 AD date and we want to share these with you. So let's examine the internal proof through Scripture that's provided uh, for us. Number one, Jesus commends the church for their hatred of the wicked deeds. This is the church of Ephesus, right? Uh, of the Nicolaitans in Revelation two six. This was obviously an issue for the church. So if it was okay, and the early date is true, why did Paul not even address this in his letters to yeah. Timothy and First and Second Timothy? He never even addressed the Nicolaitans. It's three years removed, right? Three years. He would have addressed this horrific issue that was coming up if the 65 AD date is the right one, right? Or the 60 date is the right one. Whatever you want to say, it's the wrong date because Paul never mentions the Nicolaitans. In fact, the Nicolaitans don't really show up until about 90, 85 AD with their false doctrine in the church, um, according to church history, all right? Here's another one, right? Um, According to the ESV study Bible, uh, Paul wrote 2 Timothy between 64 AD and the late 67 AD. So if the book of Revelation was written in 65 AD as preterist claim, uh, then the Nicolaitan heresy would have been addressed by Paul, but it was not thus proving the later date of 95 AD. So here is where the dates of scripture don't line up with the preterist view and the millennius view. So this is where skepticism now comes in, okay? And they start pushing dates around because it doesn't fit their theology, mm-hmm. right? And this is another dangerous thing that, that when you get into figurative language and, and you get, start making everything figurative and allegorically, you start abusing the dates. So you have to change them in order to, to fit your theology. Yeah. And that's what amalanism does. And that's what preterism does. And that's why it's demonic. It's based on a lie because you have to manipulate scripture to get there. Another note demonstrating that Revelation is futuristic is the claim um, is warning from Jesus that if they, the church of Ephesus does not repent and learn to love God and others, he would remove the lampstand. The lampstand was removed around the year 800 AD when Muslim raiders wiped out the city and destroyed the church. To this day, there is no permanent residing congregation active or inactive uh, in the in the city of Ephesus by any church that exists. I just want to say that. There's nothing there. Even Chuck Missler acknowledges this. There's no church there. Look, you get tour groups. You can go visit the the place of the Assumption of Mary and John's tomb, supposedly, and they will hold a service there, but it's not a sitting congregation. It's not an active church. In fact, it's done by someone who's actually uh, a couple of times told me it's not even a Christian, right? They just need it there for the tourist group, right? So this is a big deal. But perhaps the best argument against an early date is made by James M. Rockford. And Io, I know you're biting at the bit to read this one off. Why don't you do it? Um, Share this. Yeah, so what he says
0: about this date is that he says that the late date explains why John, Paul, and Timothy never mentioned one another together in Ephesus. If the early date is true, then John would have been leading in Ephesus at the same time as Paul and Timothy. Why would Paul leave Timothy in charge of the Ephesian church if the apostle John was there? Moreover, at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul mentions 17 co-workers by name, but he never mentions John. We are not merely making an argument from silence. This is conspicuous silence. Why wouldn't Paul mention such a spiritual titan like John? Likewise, why wouldn't Jesus mention Paul or Timothy when writing to the church of Ephesus? This is in his work, uh, Date of Revelation. Um, I think those are all other important points. This is what Brother Stefan also brought up in terms of internal evidence. And there's a lot more evidence that, again, Brother Stefan mentioned that we'll get into when Lord willing, we do our uh, study on Revelation. Um, But there's a a lot of reasons to believe that the book was written in, you know, around 95, 96 AD versus the 65, 66 date that preterists start to argue for.
1: Absolutely. And I think everyone, you've got to understand this. We have a ton of internal evidence in scripture to base this off of. We're just getting you just from the church of Ephesus. Yeah. There's a bunch of other stuff, Bergamon, all these other ones. There's evidence. Lady Osea, uh, it's huge, but we'll get into that another day. We're just canalizing it right now. So wet your appetite, write these things down, remember them. So when you're hit with your your doubts that Satan sends you, you can say, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. So we just hope that,
0: you know, that really helps you guys understand what predatorism was. Um, or rather what preterism is and why we don't believe those views. Uh, next time we'll be covering premillennialism and post-millennialism we'll be going over the different millennial views because again we'll be using the premillennial pre-trib framework uh, so we just hope to just go over all these views and uh, hopefully give you an understanding of eschatology in general and then why we are using this specific framework uh, to go over the chronology of the end times. So we just hope this is just encouraging for you guys we hope it edifies you we hope it builds up your understanding these things,
1: um, and yeah. Yep, I uh, I think this is a great episode, and um, I do want to, because we have a couple extra minutes to spare IO tonight. Uh, yeah, uh, sure. I, I want to bring up an article that came out uh, from the AOC Network regarding Vladi Bachman and their mm-hmm. view on the pre-trib rapture, and I know this isn't what we're talking about tonight, but I do want to address it. I post a post on my story on Instagram uh, on, on Proof of Your Faith, but also on Fig Tree Watchers, and that was one of the internal arguments is the word hamatian and the word stole, which are Greek words that are found in the book of Revelation. The pre-trib rapture saints are always clothed in hamatian. In oh, fact, before you dive into this in depth, do you want to give people uh,
0: who haven't seen that reel, do you want to give them a quick little uh, background to what the reel was? And what the what? aoc network is doing you you saw the real why don't you describe yeah. it because you're better at describing things <laughs> yeah that's no problem so essentially what the real was was the aoc network uh used the audio clip of Adi Bachum, um basically talking about the rapture and that it doesn't exist and specifically his argument was that he was looking to between revelation three and four um because you know uh, john he sees jesus jesus tells him to write the things he sees and then he tells him to write the, the various things to the seven uh letters to the various churches And then, I believe in Revelation 4, it's between Revelation 3 and 4, uh, he hears a sound or a voice like a trumpet. It says, come up here. And then, you know, a lot of uh, people who are pre-trib, people like me and Brother Stefan, um, they would view it as a type of the rapture. They would say that, hey, uh, essentially this is a picture of the rapture. After this, we don't see a mention of the church anymore until Revelation 19 when they come back with Jesus Christ. So he was addressing that view. And that was what the AOC network grabbed a clip of to basically ask the question, Well, is is the rapture in the Bible? Is in Revelation three or four? And they were kind of just asking the question. Um, I haven't seen that full video. Uh, but I guess that spread like wildfire, I guess, because the AOC network is actually a popular ministry, but Stefan told me about it. He told me about people who were, you know, worried, they were kind of scared, they were confused, is the rapture real this and that. Um, but that's that's the background. So you can you can continue.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind, it's Waddy Bachman, right? I mean, who doesn't have an apologetics book on Waddy Bachman? I got several on my shelf. I know you have got to have at least three or four books of his on your shelf. I I mean, we love the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so he's a great guy in apologetics, but he's wrong on this. And one of the, the key words is hamation and stole, two Greek words. One describes the robes of pre-tribulation saints. The other one's Stole. Is actually used in the Old Testament in the Greek Septuagint, but it's only used to describe the religious law leaders of the scribes and Pharisees, okay? In the New Testament, it's their robes or it's described on the post-tribulation saints. All right, so anyways, with that being said, the reason why that's important is um, we are uh, experiencing um, this idea then that what he's missing out on are the robes, right? So if the church... And chapter four has the pre-tribulation robes on, okay, representing Amatian. And then they go to chapter, you know, the, the, the seal, in the fifth seal, all of a sudden you see those saints who are being killed on the earth, they're clothed in stole. Well, then we can see that it's a clearly different type of robe. And John uses precise words in the book of Revelation. He's not just making up words. He's using these words separately, uh, and that's real clear. In, in fact, you see it in the Church of uh, Philadelphia. Uh, you see it in in other parts of Revelation that the Hamatian is there. You see it throughout the New Testament to describe saints. But it's only used to describe religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or post-tribulation saints in the book of Revelation after chapter 5 or 5 and, a, and later. Yeah. yeah, that's a very interesting
0: argument. I've heard it from others as well. Um, i don't I don't know if I've remembered hearing it from Doc Brandy Woods, but I remember hearing it from other preachers as well who would emphasize the robes and the different names between it. And when you told me that, what I was saying too, is I was like, okay, I, I know that you know, many people who do believe in the preacher rapture go there um to to make the case for preacher rapture to make the case that, again, the church isn't in uh, the the tribulation between, you know, that chapter four and chapter nineteen. Um, uh, but another thing I want to say, I, w- I was basically telling you in the voice message, I was like, okay, let's just kind of give it to Body Baakum, just, let's, just for the sake of argument, right? Let's say, you know, that, that isn't actually a picture of the rapture. Well, uh, what does that do? Does it argue away the preacher rapture? No, no, it doesn't. All he's arguing basically against is just the fact that the rapture wouldn't, the picture of the rapture wouldn't be there. Um, so I was kind of like using this talk to Brother Stefan to kind of say, like, I, I don't understand... Uh, why people might be getting scared of this, or worried, or shaken in their faith of a preacher rapture. I um, and I did tell them uh, after that I was like, "Oh wait, I think I do understand. They they just might not, you know, understand the evidences we have for the preacher rapture. They can go, you know, to this verse, this scripture, uh, to make a case for the preacher rapture versus the other rapture views." Uh, so I think that's just a good segue to say, you know, this is partly why. We do what we do, right? This is why we talk about these things. This is why we're so adamant about the Preacher Rapture, why we're against things like replacement theology, amillennialism, all these things, because the Preacher Rapture gives you hope, right? So Titus 2.13, a verse I referenced last week and referenced again here. Uh, it's looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Bible references it as a blessed hope. It's something we should be encouraged in. That's why we talk about it so much. We don't wanna, We never get tired of it. We look forward to it. We want to impart that excitement to you as well. We want to pass that on to you as well. Uh, So we just hope that this little, you know, us talking about this, hopefully it it clears up some misconceptions, confusion you guys have had if you encountered that reel or that video on social media.
1: Absolutely. Um, With that being said, everyone, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, here on Fig Tree Watchers. Uh, This was a great night. And uh, we really appreciate it. I want uh, to thank I I actually surprised him with that story at the last moment here. I brought it up and I want to mm. thank you uh, for letting me discuss it with you. Oh, yeah. Um, so, bro. I, I think it was important to bring up because it is something that's, that's there. And this is one of the reasons why we don't put our faith in churches, in pastors, in bishops, in popes, uh, in lay leaders. We put our faith in the scripture Yeah, We trust God's word and the congruency of God's word by confirming it with two or more passages of scriptures. We don't do one verse theology. We ask the deeper questions, who, Mm. what, where, when, why, who is talking, who is the audience, right? Mm. Where is this happening? What are they saying? What are the reasons for why they're saying it? We look in the background of the information, historical background information, information, uh when was it written this is huge when right oh yeah and why was it written why was the purpose of this happening when you do that in your bible study you are going to find that you're not going to be led astray by a pastor by a bishop by a church by a man-made doctrine of any kind but you're going to be led by the holy spirit and guided to all truth because a matter is confirmed by two or more witnesses deuteronomy tells us and that is the same in scripture scripture confirms scripture and that's how you have sound theology right yeah. yeah i totally agree with that so yeah with that being
0: said we just wish you guys a, a good night a good rest of your weekend we hope and uh, encourage you to follow us on our social media telegram facebook instagram uh, to follow us and like us and you know give us a, a comment wherever you listen to podcasts we would appreciate that and if you have any questions send it to info at watchers.com. we would like to answer your questions in any future episodes
1: God bless you all, and may the Lord strengthen you in your walk with him. May the Holy Spirit guide you to all truth. May he comfort you. Uh, May he convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And may the peace of God and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, and may his grace shine richly upon you. God bless. See you guys later.